invite you to pray our, our prayer that we've been praying as a church for weeks and weeks and weeks. Would you pray this together? Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to break through in my life, in our church life, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and we do. Amen. I've been preaching a a little mini-series of sermons relating to this whole idea of being Methodist. And uh, this particular memory verse um, gets at the idea of the effort that we have to make in order to follow Jesus. And as we declare this together, um, it, I'm hoping that in the midst of my sermon, while there's this one kind of main idea of giving effort to the Lord in our discipleship, that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand what individual thing we need to do. So you're going to have to kind of work and give some effort in this sermon because I'm going to give you like 12 to 15 different ideas and you've got to kind of sort through and say, which one does the Holy Spirit want me to hold on to this week and which one is kind of for me where God is speaking to me saying, that's going to help me to make every effort to follow him in this time. Okay, so let's declare this together. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 2-3. So if you'll bear with me for just a second, because I have a bad habit of not remembering my little clicker device here. And I'm going to go through a lot of slides today, and if I don't have this with me, you won't be able to follow and then somebody's going to go to hell because I preached badly today. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, all right? You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by me, all right? So we think about this idea. Um, the scripture was talking about being gentle, being patient, um, bearing with one another, trying to be unified. And we've been talking about the whole idea that that's going to take some special effort. It's not just like you believe in Jesus and you're baptized and then you're perfect all the time, you know, just kind of automatically. Although that'd be really cool if it worked that way. And if it works for Tegan that way, that would be awesome. If like you're perfect from here on out, right? But, but if she makes mistakes, God's grace is there to help her. If I make mistakes, God's grace is there to help me. I make a lot of mistakes. And so I have to kind of come back to say, what is it that God wants me to do? What do I need to kind of confess, get back on the right track and live out God's code of conduct for me? So it's not just ideas that form Christianity, although we have ideas and we have beliefs. But those are to also help us to live out life in a certain way by the power of God in such a way that it's, it, it points to how God wants us to live when we're dead. You notice what I said there. After we die, we still can live, and we're going to live in a certain way of peace, harmony, encouragement, all of those types of things. So God is like, until then, I want to see you live that way to the best of your ability now. I want... I want God's kingdom to come to earth now. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said, Father, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But in order for that to happen, I have to have be changed and then I have to give effort to kind of line up with what God's code of conduct is for me. You're familiar with codes of conduct. Other people have taught you this. Some of you say, yes, sir, 
and yes ma'am, right? A few of you. If you go to the South, it's even more common. Yes ma'am, yes sir, these types of things. Somebody then helped teach you that kind of code of conduct. If I say to you, O-H, and somebody out there was singing that song earlier, and when the O-O-O went up on the screen, you were thinking, I-O, I-O, I-O. Somebody out there was like, I know, I know. If I say, there's one minute left. No, let's not say, you know, some of you know what, the, what you say in a game there. We're not going to say that, okay? If I were to then come to you and say, you're sitting in class and the smart kid next to you is probably going to get a better grade on this test. Should you look or not? What's your response? I thought it'd be an overwhelming, no! And there's some condemnation that some of us are feeling. We're like, ah! You have a code of conduct. Jesus then has a way in which we're to live out his code. Not only that, but it's analogous to the whole idea of a biological code. If you were taking a test on this, deoxy, uh, ribonucleic acid, I can't even say it right. There are 100 people in here that could describe DNA better than I could. And I'm excited for you 100 because you're going to live out this sermon way better than the rest of us because you already know it. And you know kind of the, the sugar and phosphate kind of rails on the outside of it that hold those you know, other building blocks of life kind of together, right? And as, as then you look at the genetic code, the DNA creates genes. And the genes that you have determine what hair color you have, how tall you're going to be. My genes were a little bit faulty because I have to wear contacts. If I didn't have contacts in, I couldn't tell who you are. I couldn't tell if you're a man or a woman. I mean, I just am blind without my contacts. And you're like, dude, I'm having a bad hair day. Take those out right now. That would be great, right? I don't want you to see me. If there's a problem with the code, there will be a problem in life. So if we could then look at Jesus's life and say, what's the code that we could live out, then we would be able to live life better. And a lot of us may have gaps in that code that we're to live out. Let me give you an example. If you grew up where your parents beat you regularly, we know statistically you have a really good likelihood, even though that that was bad for you, you have a likelihood of beating your kids, don't you? It, it's like, and it's not genetics necessarily, it's, it's that you get a learned behavior that where the code isn't right. So if we could come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, help us to fix our code and to live life rightly, help us, Lord, to be able to do that, then you're able to live life more the way that God wants you to live it. As so you think about that then, the ancient, not quite ancient, but the kind of the old school Methodists, when they were following Jesus in England, and different ones of them decided, hey, we're going to live life a little more intentionally after Jesus' example. They came up with this kind of idea of a Methodist code, a Methodist way of living, that if you kind of put it all together and you're really diligent about making the effort to do these things, it helps you to live out life the way that Jesus wants it to be lived. I'm going to talk about this, but let me just make sure that you kind of understand. I'm not trying to make everybody Methodists. 
I'm just simply going to present to you a way of living out the life of Jesus in that Methodist way that's been very, very helpful for a lot of people. And for me as a Methodist pastor, it's actually something I'm like, this is really helpful. And actually doing this kind of sermon helped me tremendously. There are millions of people around the world that this has helped. But if you're a Jesuit or a Franciscan, you have a little different, a little different way of living this out, a little different code that somebody else that was a Christian put it together. The Franciscans have a, a kind of a leader named Saint, what, Saint... Francis, right? And he loved people and he loved animals and he was this very, very compassionate guy. And so there are a lot of things about compassion in that Franciscan code. The Jesuits follow a guy, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Maybe you went to Xavier University. There are all kinds of Jesuit universities out there. They're really smart, brainy kind of people. And that's kind of their way of living out the faith. The Methodist way is just one of those ways that a lot of people have found really, really helpful. And here it is. Have you got it? I'm going to change the slide in a minute, and we're going to take a test on this next week. You ready? You ready? Oh, wait, the next slide looks like it, and the next slide looks like it. You can see where I'm going with the sermon. I'm going to kind of break this down. And if you, if you can't take notes on all of it right now, that's fine. Because remember what I said. I said, I'm going to give you a lot of ideas. I want you to think about what's the Holy Spirit want for you, for me, for you individually. What is it that, that could help you this week? What is it that God says, hey, that's something that I want you to build on and to do even better this week. And I'm going to help you by the power of the Holy Spirit. First one would be to love God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and love all people. We declare that a lot in our church, love all people. Maybe as soon as I said that, God brought to mind somebody that you're struggling to love, and this is God's Spirit saying, I will help you love them more this week. I know maybe you think they don't deserve it. I know maybe they've hurt you or something like that. But at the end of the day, Jesus himself, when pressed, said the most important thing is to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love them. So maybe you're going to have success this week saying, God, I present to you this person. Help me to love them. Nathan was the leader of this church and changed that service time to 1030, and I hate it, and I hate him for it. Help me to love him. I don't know. There you go. So that's like one of those kind of side rails of the Methodist DNA. The other one, John Wesley was like, look, not everybody understands the Bible, not everybody knows Jesus, but I bet if I, if I talk about it in these terms, anybody can kind of get the beginnings of this faith idea. Avoid evil, do good. If you got that, did you need to take notes on that? Do you understand what that means? But maybe for somebody, they're like, I just now realized in this service, God is bringing to mind the fact that I keep going to this place with these people, and every time I seem to do something wrong. And God's Spirit might be saying, back off from them for a bit and avoid evil. Just don't even go there for a little while, right? Avoid that evil. Do good. Maybe somebody's like, oh my goodness, now I'm being brought to mind this idea of something good that I'm supposed to be doing, and God keeps reminding me to do this, and I just haven't done it yet, and now I've got to do it, right? So those were two, what he called the general rules, John Wesley, this old 250 years ago Christian, just trying to live this out, trying to figure out what's the Bible like, and how do I explain it to people? That was part of it. The very, very top one there, it's kind of hard to see, weekly checkup with Christ-centered friends. We talked about this last time. Wesley would, would get together with some close friends that would get to know each other, and they would care about each other, and they would say, how are you really doing with God? How's your soul? How, is there anything you need to confess? I don't know about you, but in times when I've been with really close friends and I've said, look, I've, I've really messed up, and those close friends look at me and say, yeah, we get it. 
we've messed up too, let's help you through this. That's like the greatest thing in the world. It's like that breaks a curse that's been on your life. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy, crazy cool to have friendships like that. So in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about these types of ideas. And you're like, wait a second. You mean this is going to be a kind of a sermon series? Yes, it is. And now you're sitting on the edge of your seat saying, this is going to be the most exciting fall I've ever had. Because it is. It's going to be really helpful. I'm going to have things I'll give you to hand out. I'm going to have things that you could you know, put up on your, your wall or your window or something and just say, remind me, Lord. Is there, is there somebody that I'm talking to this week where we can really share life together and I can ask them these questions? And if not, then God, send me some people or at least one person that I can, I can meet and do that with. Tonight, there's that small group and life group leader training. Part of that is to, to help form those types of things. You're like, well, I don't have a group. Perfect. That's made for you tonight. You know, pick up your bulletin, kind of look at that and say, I will intentionally be there. That's the whole idea. Now, daily prayer. How many of you prayed today? If you sang any of those songs you prayed today, you're like, oh, okay, right? Declaring things to God and trying to communicate back and forth with God daily, daily, daily. Daily encountering the Bible. The Bible can be one of the most boring books you will ever read. Amen? And some of you are like, I don't know if I want to say amen to that. <laughs> there are parts of the Bible that I've read, and it's like a genealogy, person, 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 person. You're like, oh, my Lord, what... And not only that, but you can study the Bible and it can be like dry. That's not the way you're supposed to read the Bible. The Bible is written to help us to connect with God. So when you read it, you're looking at that saying, God, where are you? God, what is it you're saying? God, how do you want to connect with me? That's a kind of a Methodist way where you say, I'm going to be intentional about trying to hear from God in this. And maybe you just look at that verse and you just sit with it for a little while. Maybe God's reminding you right now hey, that, that little Bible app, look at that this week. I want to tell you something. I want to reveal something to you. Weekly worship, you know, there are different ways that you can do this. The Methodists themselves had different ways. Sometimes it was a lot about preaching, and then they encouraged other times where you would go and you'd receive communion at, at the Anglican church, and, and it's just kind of something that you just kind of weekly just kind of connect with God and praise God. There's something powerful about being with other people where you're praising the Lord daily self-care. Anybody eat anything today that they're like, oh, crud, I just broke my diet? You know? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the honesty, right? Do, you, do we forgive them? Yeah. See? Not, you know, just forgive, you go on, you do better. Get enough rest. If I put somebody to sleep next to you, know that I'm really not offended about that because they may be so stressed in their normal life that they haven't been able to have rest. And we just created an environment of peace and now they're able to sleep. I mean, you see how I talk to myself about this, right? You're like, no, it's just because you're being boring. No, maybe it's that now they're unplugging from the stress of the world. Jesus himself took his disciples and he's like, look, come away with me and get some rest. It's in the Bible. You will wear out even if you're a devout Christian. You got to take care of yourself. Then you look around and you say, well, what family members do I need to care for? John and Charles didn't do this equally well. Actually, Charles Wesley, his brother, did it way better. He had a better marriage and he had a better family life with his kids because he, he realized, I can't be a workaholic. That's denying the fact that God has given me this family that's supposed to be my first priority of, of ministry to other people. I've, I mean, this is who I've got to help before I help everybody else. I've got to do that. 
And so Charles, as you look at the Methodist way of living, he got it right. And he would sometimes kind of hold his brother accountable and be like, man, what's going on? Diligent work. In the Bible, if I work for Amazon, do I really work for Amazon? Is that the way I'm supposed to look at my work? You work for God. It says, do everything as though you're working for the Lord. Oh, crud. I don't want to cheat the Lord in time, you know. I I want to give the Lord my best. I want to be diligent about that. And so the Methodists actually got this so good that some of them started becoming rich and then realized, oh, crud, now I've got to really be sure that I'm giving to other people or it's all going to be about me. It's really cool how if you live out the Bible, it, it helps you to kind of figure out life better. Serve others with your spiritual gifts. I mentioned there's a spiritual gifts class going on. In the Bible, it talks about different things that you're given and gifts that that God gives you, abilities that that are from the Lord where you get to use those to help other people. Our prayer partners that come forward, we're trying to build this culture of understanding that if you're given a gift of prayer and intercession for people or healing or miracles or anything like that, we need you to help pray for other people. It's not just the pastor that's given all these gifts. In fact, I only have like maybe three or four out of like 15 or 16 that I feel like these are really especially given to me. There are others that I'm like, God, give me those gifts. And God's like, no, occasionally you'll be able to do that, but I'm going to raise up other people that have those gifts. So you could take that class. It's called Shape, kind of help you to understand that. Explain Jesus to other people. The Methodists grew as a movement not because they talked people into things, but because they helped people to understand that Jesus is from God, and Jesus is God reaching out to you and to me on our level, helping us to understand what God's like and helping us understand how to live. And then he dies and raises from the dead so that there is nothing you need to fear. Nothing, not torture, not death, not disease. There's nothing to fear because he has proven that he has power over all of it. So if what you're going through kills you instead of making you stronger, actually the end of the story isn't your death. It's eternal life with Jesus. If you're trusting in him, that's the kind of power he has. You see, you see what they were connecting people with, right? I mean, I have a friend that I, I'm praying diligently about who doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. And he thinks that you go to church just you know, to show off and the church is, is trying to get money from people just to get money for themselves and all this kind of stuff. Like he truly doesn't get it. But I understand where he's coming from because yeah, I mean, if, if you're on the outside looking in, some churches kind of seem to be like that. So they need us to explain it to them. Sacred actions like baptism, Holy Communion. If you haven't been baptized yet, but you're starting to realize this is a big deal. God is changing me from the inside out. I need to declare that, God, that I'm following God and I need God's presence in me even more, tell me, tell me, let's baptize you. Well, we'll do that. Not like right this minute, but maybe after the service. But I don't know. We might be flexible. Weekly give to the poor. When they would gather together, it wasn't just about themselves. So if I gather in a little group with you, in small group, it's not just so that I learn more and I feel better about myself and I do better myself. They, as Methodist groups, would say weekly, okay, now what are you giving to the poor? Isn't that crazy? My friend who doesn't know Jesus needs to understand that that's a part of what we're about as Christians. Like when we look around and we say, God's blessed me and I have all this stuff, then we're supposed to look around and say, who has God blessed you in order to bless somebody else? Who is it? Who are, who are you to reach out to and who are you to bless? 
When we give him worship, that's what we're doing too. We're just saying, hey, at least a portion of what I make, I'm giving to you in, in worship, Lord. You're like, wait, this takes a lot of effort. It does. And so this whole idea of, of taking time to plan, we sit with that for just a second. John Wesley, we know a lot about him because he, he journaled like crazy. He was a little OCD about it. You don't have to be quite exactly like him. But, but, it, but the principle stands. He would take time in the evenings to re-look at what happened that day and to look at tomorrow and the next day and the next day and say, what's God doing? What do I need to do? Where do I need to be? And he would even talk specifics. Like he would talk about his horse. He'd talk about what town he went to. He'd talk about what happened, what God was doing, you know, how he felt, those types of things. And I realized, wait, there's something powerful in that, to be intentional about sitting and kind of saying, what is it that God wants me to do? That's why, and I don't, know, I don't know exactly perfectly how to do this yet. We're going to play with different things. But one of the reasons that we give you the bulletin is so that you can kind of call time out in life and sit down with it and look and say, what's going on that might help me in my relationship with God and other people? Or what might help my kids? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And even if, with my life, let me confess something for you all, okay? And I beg your forgiveness. I get so busy sometimes that three days will go by and I'll realize that I haven't really connected with my wife to say, okay, help me to think through the next three days. Where do we need to be? Where do we need to get the kids? Spiritually, what do we need to do for ourselves and for them coming up? Let's get it on the calendar. Let's do it. Sometimes I do that great. Sometimes I don't do that great. I want to get better and better because I realized that Jesus routinely built into his ministry times where he would gather all the disciples aside and he would sit down and say, okay, let's think about what happened. Let's talk about what's been going on and let's, let's look. And then he would intentionally sometimes send some of those disciples into the next town and say, look, go prepare the people for me to come there. And he was intentional about his planning and about his life to figure out what he's to do. This is, this is just intentional discipleship, saying I'm not gonna let life happen to me I'm going to follow God and I'm going to be intentional about where I go and what I do and how I live my life. And when I look back, I'm going to see that God was guiding me and blessing these other people, blessing them, blessing them, blessing them. There are people that have been intentional about reaching out to me. I'll give you one's name right now, Jason. Jason will check in with me. He'll pray for me. He'll send me a text. He is a better friend than I am to him. I wish this was online right now. It's not. So I'll have to repeat this in a couple of weeks, all right? But he's intentional about it. It doesn't just happen. It's like, I will take the time to do this. It's a beautiful thing. God is empowering you right this minute to be able to do that for other people. That's why you, as you grow, that little plant may say, wait, I'm not yet this giant plant. That's okay. God doesn't want it to be a giant plant yet. God's got it the right size, right time, God's blessing you where you are, helping you to have what you need. We're all in this together. And so let's pray for God's help for this coming week. God, as you are watering us, by helping us to be more intentional about following you and blessing the people around us, we open up our heart and mind to you, saying, help us to figure life out. Where do you want us to go? What do you need us to do? What do you want us to participate in? How do we need to respond to you? 
what kind of effort do we need to make? So for me, myself, I think of that one thing that you put on my heart this week. Help me not to miss that. Help me to go after that. It's going to be a busy week, but God, I've got to push back the busyness because you've spoken to me that one thing that I've got to do. And so for me, Nathan, I, I commit to that. Now I pray for my friends around me. Help us to commit to what you've put on our heart to do right this minute. Help us to commit, and then as we worship and as we pray, help us to connect with you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I come down on this floor level, I'm just kind of saying, look, there are going to be friends that are going to come up, and they're going to be ready to pray with you. And so if the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, hey, it's going to help you if you'll go have them pray for you, then go to them. They're gifted people that love you. They can pray for you. And, uh, and as we, we pray for different ideas, I want to also mention that behind the scenes, our prayer team was looking at prayer responses where people can say, hey, there's been something in my life where God has moved. And one of the ladies that was looking at, at, at this, this list of answered prayers, and she excitedly proclaimed, I've never seen this number, this high number of answered prayers. I'm so excited. Like, how cool is that, right? God's moving in our place. He's answering prayer. If God calls you as we sing to come and be prayed for, you do that. But in the midst of it, also just pray where you are. God, what is it that you're putting on my heart? I commit to it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.